All right, if uh, you find your seats, find your seats, find your Bibles, smartphones, whatever it is uh, you've got uh, with you this morning, you're going to follow along with us. If you forgot a copy of God's Word, there are some available in the front and back. And as you're finding Luke chapter 19, let me just mention something coming up next Sunday that is very important for those of you that uh, have considered or are considering membership here at Clearview, right after the 11 o'clock service next Sunday, we are going to be uh, having our Discovering Clearview class, which is a great opportunity for you to um, come in, just learn more about Clearview and making that decision about membership and what is all that about. Uh, it's actually going to be a free lunch right after 11 o'clock, so some of you that are members are going to try to sneak in. We're not going to let you do that, but uh, for those of you that are not, uh, not members, considering that would be a great time. Free lunch, be free child care. Uh, so just drop in. You do not need to uh, make a reservation uh, to come. Just show up. And so whether you've been coming for months, you've been a guest here for months, maybe some of you for a few years, uh, considering membership. Some of you, this is your first Sunday. you just like to know a little bit more. Right after we finish, uh, it's going to take about an hour or so, a little over an hour with, uh, with lunch provided, as I said, and uh, we'll be in the basement, uh, which is uh, the very bottom floor of the building furthest out front toward the street, so I uh, hope to have you with us. You may have noticed uh, last week, uh, those of you that are here on Easter, uh, the screen that is behind me and the words that are up there in the shadow of the cross, it's um, so what we're going to call the last uh, few weeks, final weeks, that we are in the Gospel of Luke as we're wrapping up our investigation of the life of Christ. And where we are today is going to find us about eight to ten days just before the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. He has not yet entered Jerusalem, which is where he's going to be the last week of his life, but uh, we're about eight, eight to ten days out. We, we spent the last couple of Sundays covering some pretty significant events around the cross a couple of weeks ago. We uh, had the Lord's Supper together and talked about that out of Luke 22. Last week, of course, on Easter, the resurrection of Christ out of Luke 24. And from our passage in uh, chapter 19 today through the end of the book of Luke, we are in the shadow of the cross. We are coming down into those final days and hours of the life of Christ. We even looked last week at just beyond the cross, still in the shadow of the cross, but beyond the cross and the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the story we story we look at today brings to mind uh, a number of things. So, I mean, first of all, how can you do this, right? April the 15th, and here we come today, and God in his providence gives us a tax collector up a tree, all right? So just, uh, it doesn't get any better than that, and uh, that's uh, God's providence bring us, bring us here, and certainly every time I read this story, that little song we sang as a kid, and some of you are going to have that running through your head the entire message this morning. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, a wee little man was he, everybody know that little song? So uh, he sang that little song growing up, and so that song kind of played in the back of my head for the last few weeks leading up to this, but uh, Bob Ross in his book, a pictorial biography of C.H. Spurgeon, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, uh, tells, a, uh, tells a great story about Jesus and the tax collector in this particular passage. Uh, supposedly a true story. Spurgeon found uh, the founder of a, uh, uh, of a pastor's college, a seminary, we would call it today. And, and uh, a part of the experience of those students was something that was called the Question Oak. The Question Oak was a large oak tree that sat on the uh, property of the college. And on Friday afternoons, the students would gather around that oak, the Question Oak, and they would have the opportunity to be able to ask the great pastor who spoke to 5,000 plus 
every Sunday morning and every Sunday evening there in the church that he pastored for uh, so many years in, in London. And uh, they would gather around the oak and they would have the opportunity to ask Spurgeon any question they wanted to ask. And they would preach extemporaneous sermons. Now, if you don't know what that is, what that is, is somebody gives you a text and you've got about 10 seconds before you get up to begin to think about what you're going to say in preaching that particular text of scripture. And so one Friday afternoon, Spurgeon called on one of the students to give a message on Zacchaeus. And so the student stood up and he said, Zacchaeus was of little stature, so am I. Zacchaeus was up a tree, and so am I. Zacchaeus came down, and so will I. And students sat down, and Spurgeon and all the other students applauded him for the job that he had done extemporaneously on this passage. Well, my outline today is uh, uh, it's not quite that brilliant, uh, so it's not quite that simple either. But I couldn't help but think as I studied this story over the last few weeks that if a movie were made of this story... The lead actor, the guy playing Zacchaeus, has got to be Danny DeVito, right? <laughs> I, I, can't, I can't read this without picturing that. With his shifty little eyes and his little swagger, you know? And um, so as I've worked through this story with all those little thoughts that I've just mentioned creeping into my mind, uh, it's been fun on the one hand, but I, I, need to, I need you to remember with me that this story occupies a very serious place in Luke's account of uh, Jesus' life. It is just before Jesus is about to enter Jerusalem. His last, uh, it is his last uh, personal encounter, at least that we have recorded, the last personal encounter before his death. Luke is the only one of the Gospels. He is the only one of the Gospel writers to give us this story, and I have no doubt as to the reason why. I believe what Luke is doing here is he is showing us one last time the purpose of the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in his first coming. From the very opening pages, in the first chapter of the Gospel of Luke, in the story of Jesus Christ, Luke has been sharing with us and convincing us that Jesus came for one reason and one reason only. Before the birth of Jesus, there was a man by the name of Zechariah who was the father of John the Baptist. Zechariah was um, prophesied in chapter 1. He spoke about the one that was to come, and he said, he said that the one that would come would bring the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of sin. And as, that is as if it is one, it is the bookend on the front end of Jesus' life, and then this one today, the bookend at the end of his life, when Jesus tells us himself, here is why I came. Verse 10. In Luke chapter 19, verse 10, for the Son of Man, that's how Jesus so often referred to himself, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. Now let's back up and get the story. That's his purpose. What is the story? Beginning at verse 1. He, Jesus, entered Jericho and was passing through. There was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector and he was rich. He was trying to see who Jesus was, but he was not able to he was not able because of the crowd, since he was a short man. So running ahead, he climbed up a sycamore tree to see Jesus, since he was about to pass that way. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, because today I must stay at your house. And so he quickly came down and welcomed him joyfully. And all who saw it began to complain 
He's gone to lodge with a sinful man. But Zacchaeus stood there. And he said to the Lord, look, I'll give half my possessions to the poor, Lord. And if, if I have extorted anything from anyone, I will pay it back four times as much. Today, salvation has come to this house, Jesus told him. Because he too is a son of Abraham. The Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. This story that we so often think of as a children's story gives us some great insight into salvation. I want to talk about that this morning from the text. First of all, salvation is available to anyone. We would say it is available to everyone, certainly the case, but when I say anyone, I'm talking about any kind of person. And we've talked ad nauseum about how the tax collectors were so despised in that day by the Jews. There were these greedy cheaters who had turned their back on their own people, traitors that had sold out to the Romans. The Roman government, which was kind of in charge of that whole part of the world that day, they had all of these colonies and they needed to generate this tax income from these colonies. And so they needed someone to be able to collect those taxes. And so these guys were, um, they would come in, they would bid in order to be able to buy, if you would, a, a, a tax collecting franchise. It's kind of the way that it worked from the Roman government. They would buy that. They would overcharge the people uh, on their taxes. They would send the money on to Rome that Rome had asked for, and they would keep the overcharges. They would keep the surplus. So it was a very lucrative business. As long as you didn't mind being the most despised, the most hated man in all the town, it was very lucrative. And Zacchaeus, we are told, he is a chief tax collector. You see this? So, so he had some guys that are working for him. He's, he's in management in the tax collecting business. Verse 2 tells us he is very rich. He's hauling in a percentage of the other tax collectors that are in the area. He's got his own tax collecting business, but he is hauling, hauling this in as a chief tax collector in management. Very wealthy town, by the way. A great place if you're going to be a tax collector is this city of Jericho. A lot of the main trade routes running uh, in and out of the capital city of Jerusalem ran right through the heart of Jericho. So we have this very wealthy, cheating trader who had turned his back on his fellow Jewish people. You see what the people thought of him in verse 7 when they referred to him as a sinful man. This is a sinful man. You can almost hear the their sneer in their, in their voices as they, as they said that. And we have Jesus with what had to be by now this large entourage following him just before he heads into Jerusalem. He's heading into Jerusalem. He knows he is going to be crucified the next eight to ten days, depending on how far we are in front of that. And, and uh, he knows all of that. And Jesus chooses. Here we are in the light, in the shadow of the cross, in the light of all of that. Jesus chooses of all the people that he could have chosen to lodge, according to verse 7, he is going to lodge with this chief tax collector. Here's what's interesting. If you were to be able to go back and remember everything we talked about in the Gospel of Luke, six times in the Gospel of Luke, tax collectors are mentioned. Every time tax collectors are mentioned in the Gospel of Luke, it is done in a positive light. As much despised and hated as they were, they are mentioned in this positive light. In Luke chapter 3, verse 12, the tax collectors were among those that are waiting to be baptized by John the Baptist, it says, and, and they're wanting to know what it is they should do. They're asking John the Baptist, how should, we, how should we do this thing of repentance you're talking about? And Luke 7, 29, the tax collectors follow God while the religious leaders and the Bible experts reject God. 
In Luke 15, verse 1, the tax collectors and sinners come closer to be able to listen to Jesus teach. In Luke chapter 18, and verse 10, it is the tax collector. Jesus said, do not pray like the Pharisee. Rather, I want you to pray like this tax collector. Every time in the gospel of Luke, it is, they are mentioned, it is done so in a, in a positive light. And you get the Zacchaeus in our story today, same thing. Now, I'm slow, but I think I see a pattern here. When you take the most despised human being in all of the, in all of the area, in all of the province, you take the most despised guy, you make him the guy that is positive every time. Something is going on. As a matter of fact, it's only in Luke that we have the story of the Good Samaritan. You remember where the hero, the hero is a Samaritan, a racial outcast, and uh, uh, the, the one that passed by the man in need is a Levite. He's a priest. It's only in Luke that we have the story of the two brothers. You have the younger brother who is the prodigal. He's the bad guy. But then you have the older brother who is the religious guy, supposedly the guy who stayed home, right? He's the guy that seemed to have gotten everything right. And yet we find at the, at the end of this, it is the guy who stayed home, the brother who stays home, that is the unrepentant one. Those of us that are here in the Bible Belt, or at least what's left of the Bible Belt, I guess, especially those of us who have done this church thing as long as we can possibly remember, we ought to ask ourselves, why was that always the pattern with Jesus? Why, why, are the, why, why is it the religious people always seem to be the ones getting in trouble? It is the good guys that seem to be repelled by Jesus Christ. Why, why was it always the poor and the tax collectors and the prostitutes and the lepers, always the outcasts, who are the ones that are drawn to Jesus Christ, and the religious people are the ones who just never did quite get it? Never understood who he was. That's not an accident. And the way that Luke is telling the story in the life of Jesus Christ, that is no accident. But I think I put, put it like this in your notes this morning. People who most like religion, most dislike the gospel. The ones who most like the gospel, most dislike religion. You see, religion is where it is man saying, I am searching for God. The gospel, though, as Jesus put it here in verse 10, the gospel is God has come to seek and to save the lost. Let's try to think about that another way this morning because we've heard this so much. Just ask yourself this question. Do I feel like I am better than most people? Do I feel like I'm better than most people? See, the, the ones who grew up, grow up religious, but later on come to Jesus Christ, who come into that race, relationship with Jesus Christ, are those who finally get to that place in their life where, you say, where they say, I am no better. I am no different. And the person that is walking the street, that is living their life a completely different way, there is no difference between those who depend on their niceness and their good morals and their religious activities to be their savior. There's no difference in that group and the group who depend on their self-indulgence and self-satisfaction to be their savior. That's what I am going to depend on. You see, if you, feel, if you feel in any way superior to those who live a shameless and unprincipled life, you do not understand what sin is and you do not understand what the gospel is. If I feel in any way superior to the man sitting on death row today, then I do not understand what sin is, and I do not understand what the gospel is. Paul said it like this in the first letter to Timothy. He said, Christ Jesus 
came into the world to save sinners, and I am, this is the Apostle Paul, and I am the worst of them. This is later on in his ministry. This is after Paul's already come to Christ. This is after Paul's already planted a number of churches. He says, Christ came to save sinners, and I am, present tense, I am the worst of them. You see, the good news, the gospel is that anyone, whether you've relied on good works up to this point in time and, and, and your religion and all that kind of stuff up to this point in time, as well as the cheating tax collectors who had no interest, at least up to this point, had no interest in God at all, it doesn't matter which one, anyone can come to Jesus Christ. But you have to get to the place of understanding who I am as a sinner before a holy God. And all of us have to get to that same place. So salvation is for Anyone, available for anyone. Second, salvation is found in the person of Jesus. And the word person there, I know Jesus is obviously a very important word in that sentence, but the word person there is, is, certainly, is certainly as, as important in that statement as the word Jesus. Look at verse 5. Zacchaeus, he said, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down because today who? I, today I must stay at your house. And then I want you to watch this in verse 9. I must stay at your house, verse 9, today, who or what has come to your house? Salvation has come to this house. Here's what Jesus was saying. I am salvation. Christ is Christianity in a way that Buddha is not Buddhism. Christ is Christianity in a way that Muhammad is not Islam. Christianity is not found in, in a set of rules and some boxes that I can simply check off and I've done this and I've done this and therefore I must be a follower of Christ. That is not Christianity. It comes in the person of Jesus Christ. In order to know Christ, though, I must see who Christ is. As the pages of Scripture give him to me, look at verse 3. Verse 3, Zacchaeus says he was trying to see who Jesus was. Not just what he looked like, but what about this guy? I mean, no doubt. Zacchaeus at this point has heard the stories. He's heard this guy. There's one that, is, that, is, that has healed a number of people. As a matter of fact, Zacchaeus, I have no doubt, he has already heard Jesus has a guy that was formerly a tax collector like me, a guy named Matthew, earlier called Levi, but a guy named Matthew. He, he's got this guy. He's following him. But Zacchaeus said, I want to see this guy for myself. I, I want to investigate who he is. How do you do that today? Zacchaeus climbed up in a tree. We don't climb up in a tree to see who Jesus is. So how do we see who he is? We begin to open the pages of this book. Four writers write out the story of the life of Christ and begin to study who Christ is in the pages of the Bible. I mean, just think about it. Get, getting up in that tree that day left Zacchaeus open to all kinds of ridicule. Left him open to all kinds of mockery and sarcasm. I mean, it, if nothing else, it accentuated his small stature. And here is a guy that wanted everybody to fear him as a tax collector. And here he is climbing up in a tree because he cannot see. Why, why would a guy do that to himself? Why would Zacchaeus put himself through that kind of, that kind of humility? It's because he was spiritually desperate. Some of you here this morning are in exactly that same place. You have so many questions. You begin to investigate your own life. You're not really sure. You're not really sure exactly where do you stand with Jesus Christ. You, you don't have any confidence at all that if your life suddenly ended in, in this life on the earth, you don't, you don't have any real security. You have no real confidence as to where am I going to 
spend eternity? Where am I going to spend eternity? Some of you have been attending church all your life. You can't really point to any evidence in your life that there is a relationship with Jesus Christ, with the Savior. You, you do a lot of good things. You do a lot of religious things. But you don't, you don't know Jesus Christ personally. There is no personal relationship. And that is the point of the story here. Where Christ comes down and where Christ says, tells Zacchaeus to come down. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lodge with you. I'm going to move in with you. You're, you this morning, you are desperate spiritually. And you know that you're desperate. So what should you do? Needed to spend time seeing who Jesus is. You need to ask questions. You, you, need to, you need to find somebody. Sit down, talk it through. Here are some questions I've got. What does God's word say about this? Make sure you're, you're in a Bible study, a small group Bible study where you can dialogue about those things. When you get home, turn off the television, read about the life of Jesus Christ and talk from his book and say, man, who is this guy? Do I really know him and have a relationship with him? But whatever you do, stay desperate enough to do whatever it takes to be able to get to the answers that you need in your life. Zacchaeus, his reaction, verse 6, is so Danny DeVito. Uh, so, so quickly, he quickly came down and welcomed him joyfully. I just see Zacchaeus kind of tumbling out of the tree, right? He lands, dust flying everywhere, gets up. He cannot believe that Jesus has said he's coming to his house. This response brings such joy. But I want you to notice a couple of barriers. Zacchaeus had to overcome these barriers in, in, order, to, uh, in order to come to Christ that day. Same barriers couple of them we've got today. First one we've already touched on, it is the barrier of pride. And I want you to think about this. The, the whole idea of this very wealthy man, very wealthy man, the people already despised, climbing up into a tree to get a better view. I mean, today that would be like, it'd be like, uh, it'd be like Bill Gates maybe trying to get up a light pole so he can better see the parade, right? So, so I can't see past the crowds. And, and we would say, Bill Gates would never do that. I mean, that's just, not, that's just not dignified. Well, that's the same idea back then with Zacchaeus. Here's this tax collector who's, he wants everybody to fear him, but he's climbing up this tree to be able to get a better view of Jesus Christ. When was the last time you thought about what it is the scripture asked people to believe in how crazy and how undignified this is. Really. When's the last time you thought about how undignified? Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, he said, The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. This is crazy. Imagine walking out this afternoon into your yard, and your neighbor who is not a Christian comes up to you and says to you, I would like for you to explain to me a little bit better about this whole salvation thing. And where would you start and how would you, begin to, how would you begin to say this? So you start with this. You say, well, you see, there is, there is a world that is beyond this world that you and I cannot see. It's an invisible world. You and I can't really see it with our eyes. And in this invisible world, there is an evil one. And the evil one has actually blinded all human beings for me to be able to see the truth. And, if, and as long as we remain, remain blinded to the truth, well, when you and I disappear out of this world, we're going to go to a very bad place if we are still blinded to the truth. But don't fear, because the one who actually created the invisible world and the visible world, he stepped out of the visible world one, the invisible world one time, came into the visible world, put on the skin of flesh, put on, put on flesh in the form of a baby. By the way, he didn't even have a human father. And he steps out and he becomes this baby and he did all of this for the purpose of rescuing us. And the way that he rescued us is he died on a cross. 
And you begin to try to share this with your lost friend, but you say, don't worry about any of that now because now he is alive. And if you'll just trust your life to him, he's gonna take you to the world beyond that we cannot see the invisible world. He's gonna take you there for all of eternity. You're never gonna die again. Now, would you like to believe that? You see why it's foolishness to those who are gonna perish? I mean, that sounds so bizarre. You hear that for the first time and that sounds so crazy. And because of pride, we'll just reject that message. People just say, that's, that's just crazy. I know better than that. Let's just be honest with ourselves. Because of pride and because of how crazy that story sounds, there's a lot of us in this room that because of pride, we won't even share that with anybody else because we think it's crazy. We think they'll think we're crazy if we actually share that story. So pride, pride is a barrier to the gospel. The second barrier here, and the one I really want to focus on is the crowd. The crowd that day, remember Zacchaeus is a short guy in stature. He can't see, and so the crowd is kind of elbowing. Who wants to let the tax collector in front of them anyway, right? So they're elbowing the tax collector out of the way, but, but it's not a crowd of thieves and thugs. It's not, a, it's not the crowd, you know, that, that we would look at and think, well, yeah, sure, they're, they're crazy, but what kind of crowd was it? Look at verse 7. Verse 7 says, all, all who saw it began to complain, he's gone to lodge with a sinful man. That, that was their attitude toward the tax collector. This sinful man. Unlike me, I'm not sinful. Because see, this crowd was a moralistic religious people. The, these are the ones that would tell you, yes, we're Christians. We're the ones that are followers of, of God. We, 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 that's, that's this crowd that is here. The biggest reason we are having difficulty in getting the good news to out, out to those who have not yet come to Jesus Christ is because of the lives of those who claim to be followers of Jesus Christ look too much like the lives of those who do not claim to be followers of Jesus Christ. Why would I want to commit my entire life to something that hasn't even changed your life? Why would I want to do that? When those of us who claim to have had our lives changed by Jesus Christ do not have a changed life, the gospel is weakened at best. The legs are knocked out from under let me just say to you this morning, if the reason that you have for not coming to Christ and trusting your life to him, if it's the crowd, those who live unchanged lives, who claim to be radically saved by the Savior who died 2,000 years ago and yet have no radical change in their life at all, if that's why you choose not to come to Jesus Christ, then I would ask you this morning to push past that. You say, well, how do I push past that? I'd bring you back to what we talked about a few moments ago, and that is to look into the eyes of Jesus Christ through Scripture and say, what does the source say? What does Scripture say about this man? To go back to the original source. What becomes clear when you do that is that Jesus Christ is more offended by hypocrites than you are. He told the religious leaders, the pimps and the prostitutes are going to get into heaven before you will. In Luke chapter 7, we see a woman of the streets and a religious leader. In Luke 10, you have the good Samaritan, the racial outcast, and you have the Levite, the priest. In Luke chapter 15, you have the good brother and you have the younger prodigal brother. Luke chapter 19, now and today we have this extortionist and we have a religious crowd. And every single time, 
Every place Jesus has a choice, he chose the outcast to save. Every time. So you've got to move past your pride and past the crowd. Number three, salvation results in a transformed life. You see the word welcomed in verse 6 and the word in verse 7, lodge. When you begin to put all this together, it actually means, I, I always thought Jesus just went over like for dinner to Zacchaeus' house. He actually at least stayed one night, lodge, to move in, to lodge, to, to bring everything that he had and move into Zacchaeus' house for a night, maybe two nights, depending on where we are before he moves into Jerusalem. And just keep in mind that is a very different world than our world. To invite somebody into your home, especially for an overnight stay, was to invite that person into every area of your life. There were no closed doors. Come to Lodge. Come be a part of my life. Come into every area of my life. It, it, was, it was to say to someone that you wanted to have a deep and a lasting relationship and a friendship. It, it, it's an all-access relationship. Remember what Jesus told us in Revelation chapter 3 and verse 20? Revelation 3.20 says, listen, Jesus said, listen. He said, I stand at the door and I knock. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come in and I'll have dinner with him. I'll sup with him. I will, I will fellowship and, and he with me. The whole idea is this. The idea is that he wants to have fellowship with us. He, he wants to have full access into every area of our life. And by the way, that verse is for Christians. I know we tend to use that as some kind of evangelism verse, but actually that verse is for Christians. But there is a warning label. And the warning label is when Christ moves into every area of your life, things change. Things radically change. And you look at the life and the story of Zacchaeus, and besides the statement Jesus makes in verse 9, salvation has come to Zacchaeus' life, how do we know Zacchaeus has actually come to Christ? How do we know that he's actually now in a relationship with this Jesus Christ? How do we know that? How do we know he's saved? Pretty easy. His actions changed dramatically. You know that your attitudes change when your actions change. And yes, at the heart of Zacchaeus, his issue was money. So money was the issue. But don't you find it a little more than coincidental that the issue is more often money and materialism in the gospel than anything else? More than sex, it's money. More times than not, it is money. The, this story is an illustration of something that has already been brought up back in chapter 18. Remember a guy by the name, we call him the rich young ruler. And the rich young ruler comes to Jesus. He said, what must I do to be saved? Here are all the things. And he gave him this list, a long religious list of things that he had done. And Jesus said, you must sell all your possessions. And you remember the rich young ruler walks away sad. As a matter of fact, go back to chapter 18, verse 24. It should be right there across the page or just a page back. Luke chapter 18, verse 24. Watch this. Seeing that he became sad, this rich young ruler who's now rejected Christ, Jesus said, how hard is it for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God? For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And we said, that's an impossible thing to have happen. And we know that because of where we're going here. Verse 26, those who heard this ask, well, then who can be saved? And verse 27, he replied, what is impossible? Getting the camel through the eye of the needle? salvation of a rich man, what is impossible with men is possible with God. And so the story of Zacchaeus is God does the impossible. He saves a rich man. 
saves a rich man. It's clear that he did not pay, Zacchaeus did not pay this money back and give to the poor in order to be saved. That's where we get lost in the stories. That's not what happens. He doesn't give it back in order to be saved. As a matter of fact, first Jesus says, what? I'm coming to your home. I'm moving in to your life. And Zacchaeus, then Zacchaeus said, okay, I'll stop cheating. I can't believe you're going to do this. I'll stop cheating. Zacchaeus' actions were in response to the grace that he had already received. The change does not cause Jesus to come to Zacchaeus' house. The change does not cause Jesus to love Zacchaeus anymore. Zacchaeus changes as a result of the love of Jesus that he had already experienced. See, we're thinking, man, I'm confused. Jesus told the rich young ruler to give it all. Zacchaeus gives 50%. I've heard some place you're supposed to give like 10%. I mean, how much is it supposed to be? Which is it? Let me, let me say, first of all, nowhere are we indicate, nowhere is it indicated that Jesus demanded Zacchaeus is going to give 50%. In fact, Zacchaeus comes to him. He comes to Jesus. He said, Lord, look, this is what I've done. This is what I'm going to do. <laughs> it's kind of like coming to your daddy. You know, when you come to your dad, you go, Dad, you, you love me so much. I want you to look. This is what I'm going to do because you love me, because of this relationship we have. I'm going to show you how much I love you. I want, I, want to sh- I want to show you this. So if you're giving this morning, if your giving is mechanical, it's not generous giving. If you're figuring it up down to the penny to make sure that this, that, and the other, then it is mechanical giving. It's not generous giving. It brings no glory to God at all. Zacchaeus is just trying to be creative, and he's trying to think to himself, now what could I do? I've experienced this incredible grace by Jesus Christ. Watch this. That's what he's saying. Watch this, Jesus. Because of the change that you brought in my life, because of what has happened in my life, I want to be generous. I want to make it right between me and the people that I have, that I have offended, the people that I have, that I have sinned against, the others that are in my life. If you, if you walk out of church and, and you feel guilty or you feel burdened over money, you don't get the gospel. If you, walk out of, if you walk out of a service like this and you feel guilt over money, you don't get the gospel. You should walk away saying, man, look at the incredible adventure in Zacchaeus' life. I mean, that had to be fun, did it not? For this guy to take the money that he's certainly he's swindled, he's cheated, and he's taken from all these people, but he's got his stack of money. And now he's going, how can I be creative? Let's see. I'm gonna, if I've cheated you, I'm going to pay you not only what I took from you, but I am going to multiply that then four times over and I'm going to give you that much more again. So he's got this amazing thing. He's, he's going on this adventure. And that's, what, that's how we ought to walk away from this. Man, I want some of that. How, how do you do that? I want that kind of joy in my giving. I want that kind of response to the grace of Jesus Christ, the gospel in my life. I want to be able to respond like that. And isn't it interesting? Isn't it interesting? Zacchaeus' new way of life changed him precisely at the point of his greatest former weakness. It transformed him. It changed him at the place where he was the weakest. Greed was his problem. And when Christ moves in and he experiences the grace and love of Jesus Christ, the place where he was formerly the weakest, now he is the strongest. When Christ moves in or you give him full access to every corner of your life, it may not be greed that he puts his finger on in your life. It, it, may, be, it may be gossip. You suddenly now become the most confidential person 
you know anything about it. It may be anger. It may be bitterness. You become the sweetest person. People, people desire to be around. Sweetest, most loving person in the world. It may be about, maybe about the weaknesses as a dad or a husband or a wife or a mother. But when Jesus Christ, one thing that is certain, when you have an encounter with a living Jesus Christ and you begin to fellowship with him and you move him into your life, you say, take every corner of my life. I hold nothing back. And you do that based on repentance and his grace. There is, there is a radical change. I don't know another word to use. There is a radical change that takes place in the life and the heart of a person who comes to Christ and experiences that grace. Just bow your heads with me for just a moment this morning. Some of you have got to move past the point of pride. And whatever that pride is that's holding you back from Jesus Christ. I, I don't want to commit my life to Christ. What are people going to think? I've sat, in, I've sat in church for years. You saw the testimony of a couple of people last week on Easter Sunday that, that have done just that, who've been a part of church for a long time. They came to that place to say, you know what? I know I don't have that relationship with Christ. I want that in my life. I don't care what people think. I don't care how people view me to get past that place of pride. Some of you, the, the step of baptism has been a place that pride has just held you back. You say, I'm just not going to do that. I mean, what are people going to think if I do that? Who cares what people think? Christ has called you to follow him. The very first instruction that he gives us is to follow him in baptism, identify with him, and identify with others who are following him as well. Don't let pride hold you back. Some of you in this room think, man, I'm beyond salvation. Jesus has never saved me. That's not true. Jesus saved the most despised man in town, a cheater and a traitor. He turned his back on his own people, cheating them, swindling them out of their money. He saves Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, come down out of the tree because I'm going to your house. And I'm going to lodge with you. and I'm, I'm moving in with you here for a little bit. For us, it's permanent. Jesus Christ says, turn from your way of doing life. Turn to me. I will move in. I will save you. Forgive your sin. The response, Zacchaeus responded, great joy. So I'm going to ask you this morning, in a moment we're going to stand with our heads bowed and eyes closed. If you have never come to Christ, if you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you say, that, that's the decision I'd like to make today, commit my life to Christ in a way that I have a relationship with Christ. And I'm going to invite you to come. I'm going to be down here. Jacob, be down here at the front as well this morning. You come. Whatever God leads you in that area this morning, you just step out of where you are and come. Others of you, God is uh, leading become a part of Clearview. Move your membership here. I'm going to invite you to come this morning, all right? Many of us, we, we, we got to get past the pride issue of telling the story. The first time you hear it, it may sound a little crazy. But then when you begin to go into the pages of Scripture and study, you see that is the story. The one who created all, all the world stepped out of the invisible world into the visible world, took on flesh, set aside all of his rights, 
as deity and came as the God-man live a perfect sinless life and die for us if, if you're not telling the story why is it pride we gotta get past that Father this is a uh, this is a great story story many of us have heard as kids maybe growing up and today for the, some in this room maybe the first time they've ever heard this story story of salvation of one who we would look at and say did not deserve salvation and yet father we know we are in the same place Zacchaeus was we did not and we do not deserve salvation yet you freely give and out of that experience of grace our lives are changed father if there are those that are here today that need to make decisions public need to come you give them boldness and courage to come Jesus' name we pray. Would you stand with me, our heads bowed, our eyes closed for a moment. You come as God leads us.